0: Yes, Matt, it is a coffee machine. And I'll get to that very shortly. So, thanks for that introduction. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. I count it a privilege uh, to be able to serve here on the eldership at City Hill, and I count it a privilege to be able to share from God's word with us here this this morning. So, can anybody tell me what our theme is for 2021 at City Hill? What's our theme? Say it again. Empowered. That's right. Empowered. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I took an informal survey of my family the other evening, and I said, "You know, when I say power, what's the first thing that comes to mind?" And I got answers like Tesla, Falcon 9 rockets, elephants. Power. I'm like, okay, that's probably not going to help me too much for my sermon. (laughs) So what do you what do you hear when I say empowered by the Holy Spirit? And I get things like. Jesus, miracles, healing, resurrection, Holy Spirit, peace of God. I'm like, all right, I think we're on the right path. So I said, well, let me tell you what I hear. When you say empowered by the Holy Spirit, and every time Kent says this for the last couple months, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I hear prayer. I hear pray. Amen. That's right. Linda's a good prayer. I hear that we need to get down on our knees, cry out to God, and pray. So I brought my coffee pot, Matt, up here for a cheesy illustration this morning. Because I think we all know how coffee pots generally work, right? You put the water in, you flip open the lid, you put the filter in, you put the coffee grounds in. You push the button, you turn it on, it goes off at 545, it beats at 6, it's my backup alarm at home. I probably wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for the coffee pot. We know there's power in the outlet on the wall. But we got to plug it in first, right? we got to plug it in. And that's kind of what prayer is like. It's about plugging into God and getting connected with God. It's about that relationship, that intimacy um, that comes when we pray to him. And we can know all about God. We can know all about the power of God. We can know all about how it's supposed to work plugged in or connected to our Father, who's the source of Holy Spirit power. So when you say power, I hear get connected God, get plugged to God through prayer. So another thing that I have learned, not all power cords are created equal. Okay? Power cord on the coffee pot, you get a little power. You get something out like this, you get a lot more power. That's probably 110. This is more like 480. And while I was prepping for this last week, what I kept seeing in my mind was a picture of a, a bigger cord and a bigger plug that looks like this. And I think what God wants to say to us this morning is, you know, if you're not praying, he wants to get plugged in, to get going and to start. And if you are praying, and I think this is really key for us this morning, I think He wants to challenge us. I think he wants to encourage us. Dig in a little bit deeper. Go a little bit deeper in prayer. Get a bigger power cable. Get a bigger power club plug. Get a bigger connection to the throne in heaven through a deepened life in prayer. The other thing about these plugs is a lot of them, they have a twist lock feature on it. That means you plug it in and you twist it locked. And when you do that, you can't accidentally unplug it. It's stuck there. And I think that's about... Persistence, consistency, endurance in our prayer life, so that whatever comes our way in life, whatever happens to us, that we are plugged in to God. We're locked into Him. We're clinging and hanging on to Jesus with all that we have. So when you say power, I hear prayer. And please hear my heart in this this morning. It's really about it's about more God, about more of you, God. More of you in our life. More of you, less of us. More more of your lordship. More surrender. And that's what's really on my heart is that we get more of God, more of the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life, and I believe that that comes through prayer. So I'm going to ask you to remember three words with me this morning. This is your big assignment. Three words. Pray, power, power, proclaim. And that's my little mnemonic for this morning. It's to help me to remember that when God's people pray, the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out and the gospel is proclaimed. It's not a formula, but it is a pattern that we see in Scripture over and over again. And more than anything for me, it's a key reminder. It's a reminder that as we are talking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit, It reminds me to pray. That prayer precedes power. Can we pray together to get going this morning? Hmm, Thank you, Jesus. God, we are your children, God. We love you. You're gracious, you're kind, and you're merciful. And it's such a joy and a pleasure to help build your kingdom here on earth, God. Father, I pray that as we look at your word that you would draw us closer to you. God, as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us like your word says. Father, we need you. We need more of you. We just invite you to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. Well, two weeks ago, we had John Michael Sherman up here. He led us through the first part of Acts chapter 1. Last week, can't follow that up from Acts chapter 2. And this morning, I'm going to slip right in between the two of them. There's a few key verses at the end of of Acts chapter 1 that I want to read this morning. So I'm going to start in chapter 1. I'll start at verse 4 to set the table for us a little bit. But here's what it says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he, Jesus, gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak of. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, if you at this time are going to restore the kingdom to Israel, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this he said, after this he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were all looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Remember that. Remember the upper room. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Acts 114, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Before Pentecost power, before they went out proclaiming the gospel, they were together in prayer. And you can make a note if you want to, but the first official church function in history, it's a prayer meeting. It's a prayer meeting. In another translation, the verse says, they were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. It means they were praying steadfastly, persistently. They were persevering in prayer, even to the point of being obstinate. God, give me that gift that you were talking about. We're going to keep praying until we get the gift of the Holy Spirit that you taught us about. So chapter 1, oh, and by the way, They were together for about 10 days, praying, on their knees, seeking God. This wasn't a five-minute, short, one-and-done type of prayer meeting. So chapter 1 is pray, and the prayer meeting sets the stage for chapter 2. And we read chapter 2 last week. After the prayer meeting, there's the Pentecost power, Holy Spirit's poured out, and immediately after, Peter starts proclaiming the gospel, and 3,000 are saved. So right out of the gate, at the beginning of the book of Acts, what do we have? We have a praying church. We have a power-filled church. And we have a gospel-proclaiming church. And this is the start of the church. This is where it all started, right there. And I think when God starts something, especially something really significant like the church, we do well if we pay attention and look closely to what he was doing right there. And he started the church praying, on their knees, humble. Surrendered, bowed before the throne, kneeling before Jesus, crying out to God in prayer. Born in power, yes. Born proclaiming the gospel, absolutely. Amen. But they prayed. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning that the church prayed. So remember, it's pray, power, proclaim. This was not a one and done prayer meeting for the church. They started with prayer, and these folks persisted in prayer. They kept on praying. And I want us to get a taste of that this morning when we start flipping through the pages of the book of of the book of Acts. I want us to get a taste just for kind of a flow of it, the feel of it. And I'm going to go through a few things, try and keep up. I'm going to go pretty fast, but here it goes, because in chapter 4, it says, And when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There it is again, after they had prayed, pray, power, proclaim. After that, many signs and wonders were taking place in their midst. Peter's shadow was healing the sick. It says at the beginning of chapter 6 that they devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. At the end of chapter 7, we see Stephen. He's being martyred. He looks up to heaven and he prays. And he's praying for the people who are stoning him, one of whom was Saul. Two chapters later, he's converted and becomes Paul. Prayer. Right after that, the church is scattered. Those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went. Peter and John go out to check on the new believers. And what do they do? They pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. In chapter 9, we see Peter. He prays. Raises Tabitha from the dead. It's more of the same in chapter 10. Peter, Peter and Cornelius, they're praying. And the door's open for the spread of the gospel to the nations. Chapter 12, Peter's in jail. The church is earnestly praying. And the doors of the, oops. And an angel, and God sends an angel, pokes Peter on the side, wakes him up, and leads him outside. Chapter 13, church leaders are worshiping, fasting, and praying. The Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The missionary movement begins after they prayed. Chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are praying and fasting. Paul heals a man lame from birth. Chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison, praying when God brings an earthquake and a jailer and his family are saved. That might be a bit much, I admit. I'll stop there on that one. But the point is this: This is a prayer-filled church in Acts. It's a prayer-filled, power, Holy Spirit power-filled church. It's a church devoted to prayer. pray, without giving up. They pray, without ceasing, and they keep going back. Would you give me that bigger connection to you? Give me that. Give me that bigger. Give me that bigger power cable. I'm gonna plug it in. I'm gonna lock it in. I'm holding on to you with all I've got through prayer. And if you're not convinced by the book of Acts, the Bible repeats this story over and over and over again. God moves on behalf of his people in response to prayer. Consider Moses. Moses prayed, God's anger was relented from his people. Elijah prayed, fire falls from heaven. Consumes the sacrifice, people fall down on their face, cry out to God. Nehemiah prays, people return to the Lord. Daniel prayed, delivered from the lion's den, and it just goes on and on and on and on it goes. People pray, and God moves. And here's the fun thing church history, it didn't end at the book of Acts, it keeps going. That story is still unfolding. And the same thing keeps happening in history. When people pray, the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out and the gospel is proclaimed. I had fun looking through some of the old kind of moves of God in history, but this is super encouraging. Is anybody familiar with the Moravian Prayer Revival? Anybody heard about this? This is 1727, Zinzendorf, Hernhut, Germany. They started a prayer watch. They started praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they kept praying for how long? A hundred plus years. They kept praying for a hundred plus years. Signs, wonders, and miracles, baptized in the Holy Spirit, obviously. And get this, after 25 years of prayer, over hundred missionaries were sent out from Hernhut. At that time, that was more than twice the number of missionaries that had been sent out from the entire Protestant church in the preceding 200 years. Fulton Street. Heard of this one? Fulton Street Revival, New York City, God raised up a praying businessman, Jeremiah Lanfear. On September 23, 1857, he began a noontime prayer meeting on Fulton Street in the financial district of New York City. At that first meeting, six people showed up. They were all 30, 40 minutes late. Group decided to meet again the next week, 14, next week, 23, following week 40. Within weeks, literally, there were like 10,000 people in New York City praying at noon each day. That prayer meeting was so powerful, it spread all over the country, and within 18 months, it's estimated that nearly a million people, a million people were saved and gave their life to Christ. And I just look at that, I'm like, God, did you use a in the financial district of New York City to start a nationwide revival? The answer is yes, because he was willing to pray. Azusa Street, we're familiar with this one, I think. Start of the modern Pentecostal movement. Millions have been impacted through this revival. How do you think it started? Anybody got a guess? William Seymour, 1906, gathered together with seven others in a prayer meeting, when suddenly, as though hit by a bolt of lightning, they were knocked from their chairs to the floor, and the other seven men began to speak in tongues, shout aloud, praising God. People fell down under the power of God as they approached. People were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The sick were healed, and sinners received salvation. So what do these all have in common? The people of God prayed. It's pray, power, Proclaim. They all started in a prayer meeting. They all had their own upper room type of experience, just like in Acts chapter 1. So bring it one step closer to home. City Hill Church, 2021, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Story's not finished yet, right? What's the next step in our story going to be? What's the next chapter in the history of this church? Yeah, what do you think? Can God move in a fresh and powerful way in our midst? Like right here, right now, today, right? Of course he can. Of course he can. He's used ordinary people just like us time and time and time and time again all throughout history if they're willing to get down their knees and pray and ask. Personally, I believe he's just waiting for us to ask. Ask, seek, knock, pray. So as we contemplate that, let us remind us one more time. It's pray, power, proclaim. It starts in Rome. And to please hear me. I'm not in any way trying to say that we are not a praying church. That's not what I mean. But I am trying to highlight the significance of prayer, The importance of prayer and to to encourage us to dig a little deeper in our prayer lives with the Lord this morning. Arthur Pearson, there has never been a spiritual awakening awakening in any country or locality that did not begin with prayer. A.W. Tozer, to desire revival and at the same time neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way and to walk another. <clears throat> Seems pretty clear, right? <clears throat> so I probably should have given you a heads up up front. It's a pretty simple message today. This is not an exposition of the theology of prayer or anything like that. But, yeah, it's a simple message. Pray. When people pray, God moves. message, that simple message, is plastered all over the pages of Scripture. All over the pages of history. Praise the Lord. Music. The angels are singing. They must be pleased with us. I think I heard some drums this morning, too, and I swear Lenny's hands were not moving. So... <laughs> So, if it's so simple, then all we need to do is make a plan, right? Get out our prayer list, get out our prayer schedule. We'll just do it. We'll start praying. Fire falls from heaven. Boom. Off we go. And to be honest, that was the next section in my outline for this morning. It was the to do list, the how to plan, the seven step plan for growing in a truly anointed prayer life. And I gave my outline to Kristen, the editor-in-chief in our home, and she's looking through it, and she gets to this section in the outline, and she's like, you know, I think you should take this out. What she really said is, it's boring. <clears throat> and I agreed, so we were on the same page. That's a good thing. <laughs> so I took it out. And the point is, it, misses the, it missed the point. And what I realized just through that conversation was that it's not so much how to pray. The question is much more for this morning, do I have the conviction to do it? Do I act on what I am firmly convinced of and what I believe? In the church in Acts, they had conviction about the importance of prayer. There's a couple things that really jumped out to me that I want to share. Excuse me. If we go back to chapter 6, we see that some, that the needs of some some in the community were being overlooked. Those needs were important. They needed to be met at the same time. It appears that it was becoming a bit of a distraction for them. So, you know, the way that I was looking at that this week and the way I'm looking at it this morning and trying to have a little fun with it at the same time, They said, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to bring in, we're going to bring in the HR department, we're going to bring in the human resources department because we need to look at a reorganization, right? We need to reorg and restructure because we're getting distracted from this priority of prayer. And what they did was they created a new office in the church called the Deacon they gave him a new job responsibility to make sure all the needs of the community were met. And then it says, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And it just struck me this week. They literally organized the church. They put prayer into the org structure in some way, shape, or form. It was that important to them. We're not going to be distracted. We're not going to get thrown off our game. We're going to keep emphasizing this priority of prayer in the ministry of the word in the church. There's another church calendar that I was looking at. You know, you're looking around, looking for examples and stuff. It was pretty interesting. Um, This example, it just particularly struck me. And, you know, you think of your Google calendar, your Outlook calendar, it's got all the days of the month. And then on this church calendar, what they had was, there was an item on each day of the month. And the item said, prayer. Prayer. And underneath prayer was a list of names, you know, two, three, four people who were committed to praying for the church for that day of the month. I'm like, huh, they have a conviction. They have a conviction about the importance and the priority of prayer. And I'm not saying there's any right or wrong way to do it. It just struck me as an example or an illustration of making prayer a priority. And, you know, I think last week, Kent was talking up here and he said, you know, if you show me your calendar and your financial records, it'd be pretty easy to tell you what you value, right? So I did a little looking at my calendar last week in the context of prepping for a sermon on prayer. I kind of scratched my head. Hmm. Maybe I need to think about this a little bit. So the second example of conviction is back in Acts chapter 1. When Jesus told the disciples to go back to Jerusalem and wait, they departed right away and they went back to the city and they went to the upper room. And the point is that they did it promptly. And When we have conviction about things, we do them promptly. Prayer is important. I'll do it now rather than next week or next month. But now, I'll do it now. And the early disciples, they did it right away. They did it promptly and they did it now. So here's some wisdom from the home front from one of the last couple of weeks. We're talking about uh, fasting. I was talking to my kids about fasting. I said, look, we've been talking about fasting. I'm planning to um, take tomorrow, and I'm going to pray and fast for healing. And I can't make you, but you are welcome. You are invited to join me if you like. And here's the response that I got. I'm in, I'll do it, because if I don't do it tomorrow, then I probably never will. Yeah? How true is that? If I don't do it now, eh, there's a good chance I'll probably never get to it. And I know of so many times in my life, get into a pattern, get into a habit of fasting and prayer, get more organized, get more devoted to it, and it's like, nah, I'll do that next week. I'll start next week and then next week becomes next month and next month becomes a New Year's resolution and we know how well New Year's resolutions work. So it's like, yeah, been there, done that. The early church had conviction about prayer. They organized around it and they attended to it promptly. So back to the question, it's not so much how to pray but do I have the conviction to pray? And this is This is where the rubber hits the road. It's where the rubber hits the road for me, for sure. I can easily, far too easily relate to the disciples in that scene where Jesus has asked them to pray, and within the hour, they've fallen asleep. It's like, yeah, been there, done that. And I would easily admit, it can be a challenge, and it's like a wrestling match. You know, I'm busy, schedules are full, family commitments, other things. The flesh doesn't always want to do it. Mind drifts. So we have a little saying in our house. The saying is pray to pray. Pray to pray. That's that idea of God, would you help me with this? Help us to pray. Teach us to pray. The disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray. This is what I've been asking for in my life and in my family's life. It's God, would you give us a deeper conviction to pursue you in prayer? That's a prayer that God will answer. One of the activities that's really helped me over the past year is being part of the City Hill Morning Prayer Group. Uh, We started about a year ago um, during the stay-at-home order. It's still going. And there's just something about making a commitment, getting out of bed, praying with other brothers and sisters. And it's just been a really sweet, good, encouraging time for me. And since I'm talking about it, I'll just throw in a quick plug right now, right here, because I don't know where else to do it. But there are a couple of prayer meetings. I do want to highlight if you're feeling that nudge or you want to get plugged in and start praying with other people. But if you go on our website, it's at cityhill.org. You go on the website, you go under the Live section, you go under the event section, and there's a couple of different prayer meetings that you'll see listed there. One is Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 a.m. No, you don't have to come every day. Come when you can. Then Wednesday at 12.30 p.m., both of these have been ongoing for some time. Both of them have room for more. You're invited. You're welcome. You're wanted. It's needed. And if you show up at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning, I'll be there. We'll pray together for 30 minutes. And I would love to see prayer meetings, whether it's these, or it's other ones, I would love to see prayer meetings at City Hill start to get packed out. I would. I would love to see us catch the bug to pray. Not because we're obligated to do it, not because we're checking off a box of something that we have to do, but because we want to. Because that desire is building us, because we get the conviction in our hearts and in our lives that when we pray, God hears, God answers, he responds, and he moves and that conviction grows in us and we want to come together and we want to ask God we want to seek him together and we want to pray and beyond that there's certainly no shortage of things for us to be praying about in our nation in our state in our country in our culture today right We live in a nation, we live in a culture that has turned away from God, and frankly, turned away from God at an alarming speed. And you can pick your current favorite concerning turning away from God trend, whatever it is. Cancel culture, censorship, the Equality Act, isolation, depression, suicide, other mental health issues, taxpayer-funded abortions, racism, court stacking, border crisis, COVID, vax or no vax, mask or no mask, shutdowns, lockdowns, church division, and the list goes on, right? The list just goes on. And, you know, the root of all of these problems the root of all these problems is the same. It's that people have turned away from God. People have rejected God. It's a sin problem. You know, in James it says, when, in sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. And there's a lot of these things that we see going on, it's just like they've been going on for a number of years, right? And now we just see kind of the fullness of sin exploding in our midst. And a lot of it has become, it's just become ugly. It's dangerous even, vile. Some of it's not even appropriate to be talking about up here on a Sunday morning. It's kind of like a sin bomb has gone off in the country, right? we got a sin problem. And then beyond that, in Second Corinthians 4, it says, "...the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God." So we have a sin problem, we have a blindness problem, a lost problem, a brokenness problem. But thanks be to God, there's an answer, right? There is an answer. There's not a long list of answers. There's one answer. And his name is Jesus. In his gospel. That's what we were singing about this morning win this nation back. And the hope is the church. Because the church here is the bearer of that news, that good news. The gospel is brought to the culture by the people of God. Proclaiming the gospel with boldness, with confidence, with love. Filled with the Holy Spirit. How do people get filled with the Holy Spirit? They pray. You see where I'm trying to go with this? We need a praying church. To be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to boldly proclaim the gospel in this day and age and in our nation that we're living in today. That's the answer for these different issues and problems that we see that go on and on and on and on. It's like darkness has covered the nation, and God is just waiting for his church to get down on its knees and to pray. And to pray. I love the scripture in Isaiah 60. When darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people, the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. And the glory of God appeared over the early church, tongues of fire. And that's what we, that's what we need to be praying about and asking that the glory of God, the tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit of God would come and fill his people, Right? The people of God filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can boldly take the gospel to a culture, to a nation that's broken, that's hurting, that's lost. And that's the trajectory. That's, that's where this priority and this importance of prayer it needs to go. It starts with a praying church, a church down on its knees, crying out to God, pleading with God, begging with God, saying, God, give me that gift of the Holy Spirit that you promised. Fill us fresh, God. Fill us fresh and fill us anew with the Holy Spirit so that we can be filled, so that we can go boldly proclaim in love, in truth, your good news to a nation that so desperately needs it. So, City Hill, I just go back to the question, 2021, empowered by the Holy Spirit, what's the next chapter in our story going to be? We're part of that unfolding story of history in the book of Acts, right? The next chapter is not written yet. Well, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't think anybody knows for sure what it's going to look like. But I want to encourage us, urge us even this morning to go after it and to pursue it on our knees in prayer. I say we pray like we haven't prayed before. We pray and don't give up. Pray without ceasing like the early church did. Approach the throne of grace with confidence just like the early Christians did in the book of Acts. And when we hear empowered by the Holy Spirit this year, I want to invite you like me to remember to pray. Pray that the people of God here at City Hill would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can boldly, proclaim the gospel in this day and age. Amen. Amen.